I'm checking. Shalom, and welcome to this week's Think Jewish. This Torah portion is called Kitavo, and we'd like to dedicate this class in memory of a Kadosh, the uh, Jewish news person who was beheaded. His name is Stephen Satlo. I want to make sure I pronounce it right. And uh, she lived a long and healthy life. We want to also dedicate it for the Rafur Shalema of Abigail Bat Jimol. Okay, so this week's Torah portion is a very rough Torah portion. Kitavo is one of the two times in the Torah portion where we lower our voice because it has within it retribution, serious retribution. And if you don't, we do it once at the end of Leviticus by Yikra before Shavuot, and we do it before Rosh Hashanah, Kitavo, and it's pretty rough. So bear that in mind that this Torah portion does carry in it tochachot, retribution, warnings. And then, now let's begin our class. Keep that in the background of your mind, okay? So what happens? There is a concept in the Torah which is called megalgalin. What does megalgalin mean? Megalgalin means to roll, to roll over. And what does it mean to roll over? So it says, Megalgalin schut liyom zakain. We roll over a meritorious event to a meritorious day. So too, you have the opposite. Why is this? So first to show you a simple example. Tishabov. We know that Tishabov is the saddest day of the Jewish year. What made Tishabov the saddest day of the Jewish year? Most of you will tell me because that's the day that the first temple and the second temple was destroyed. Not so. Because way before that, in the year 2448, when the Jewish people were standing after they left the Mount Sinai revelation, they were standing on the border, Moses sent 12 spies. The 12 spies went for 40 days. They came back on the 8th of Av. They gave a bad report. And what happened on Tisha B'Av, the ninth day of Av, what happened? The Jewish people cried, we don't want the Holy Land. And God said, you're crying now in vain. Bechayai. It's a, a sentence that means on my life, means an oath, that you will yet cry a true crying on this day. So let's go over. I want to just show you some things. We're going back in history from Moses to, to quite recent. Okay, so on ninth of Av, the 12 spies opened up the gateway that this day should be a day of Tzorus. In the year, in the year 423 BCE and in the year 69 CE, those were the years that the first temple was destroyed and the second temple was destroyed on Tisha B'Av. The famous city of Betar, very big city, Betar. Betar in the year 133 CE was, fell on that day Tisha B'Av. The expulsion from England in 1290 began on Tisha B'Av and the Spanish expulsion in 1492 began on Tisha B'Av. Coincidence? No. It's the rule of Megalgalin. Why? Because days become gateways for concepts. And once the spies came back, and then together with the Jews, they created that Tisha B'Av should become a gateway of retribution. Let's talk about a happy thing. Everyone knows that if you have a court case pending, when, when should you set it for? You should set it for the month of Purim. Because the month of Purim 
it became a gateway to transformation from struggles to happiness. The month. So you see that time becomes gateways for different concepts because of the Megalgalin rule. Now let me share with you something that's very interesting. Just like I shared with you that days, time becomes gateways, words, certain terminology becomes gateways. And it's important that we understand this. For example, in this week's Torah portion, it gives us a clear instruction that after you give the tithing that you have to give, they used to keep it in their house to a certain period, and then they gave the tithing away for that year. So after you gave the tithing to the Levites and you gave the tithing to the poor, you were supposed to recite something. Now I want to read to you a verse, a very famous verse from that recitation. Hashkifa mimon kachecha min hashemayim ovarech et amcha et Israel. You should gaze, Hashkifa, look, you should gaze down from your holy abode, from heaven, and bless the Jewish people. Now here, the rabbis make a big fuss. Because I told you that when it comes to terminology, there are certain terminologies that are used only for retribution, and then there are their synonyms that are used for good things. The word Hashkifa is not a word which is used for blessings. Let's go back to when God spoke to Abraham. Vayashkov al pnei Sedom. Vayashkov, again the same words. He glanced, he glazed upon Sodom, and he saw their evil. And the next thing you know the rest of the story. So that means that this specific terminology of hashkifa, the root of that word, vayashkov, is used for retribution. So how come we're using it here in a prayer to God for blessing? We don't do those stuff. We're very careful with these things. You know that uh, as Jewish people, there are certain times of the year that we do not take risky ventures because we pay attention to this. And the same thing with terminology. We're careful with our words. If we know that this is a terminology used for retribution when God punished Sodom, there's other words in the Torah that mean to look. You can say histakel. You don't have to say hashkifa. So the rabbis are very bothered by this. We're looking for a blessing and we're using a terminology which is a gateway for retribution. And our sages give an answer. The power of charity is that it transforms gateways that are used for evil into gateways of blessings. Charity transforms curses into blessings. And thus the ultimate blessing that we have when we give the tithing is that we transform the hashkifa of retribution into the hashkifa of the deepest blessings. Question on this week's Torah portion and an answer. Now, as a shliach, a rabbi who's charged with having to cover the budget here, I can spend the rest of the night just emphasizing this amazing concept. We're standing in the month before the high holidays. 
Everyone wants to transform curses to blessings. And the way to do it is through charity. I could spend the night that way, and it would be appropriate. However, to be very frank with you people, I trust you. You people have always stood by our community in the past. You people will stand in our community for the future. So I'm not going to focus on that concept. I'm going to move to an amazing teaching in 1967 of the Rebbe that focuses on this transformation from evil to goodness. What is this transformation from evil to goodness? It says clearly that we transform klalot librachot, curses to blessings. Okay? So, let's start with this. In that Maimer, which I spoke to you about, this week's Maimer, 1967, the Rebbe discusses the concept, the commandment of fear. Now, the verse says, God, your Lord, you shall fear. However, most of us are very uncomfortable with this notion. We like to have a relationship where we love God, not where we're afraid of God. That's the notion that we have. Not only that, we carry that over to our children. We don't like to teach our children, you should be afraid of God. We want to teach our children that they should love God. Why so? Because in our mind, fear is associated with a leadership of tyranny. You're afraid of this guy because he was a leader that took off heads, made people suffer, tortured people. That notion of fear is connected with a negative leadership. So why would God tell us to fear him? And God, your Lord, you shall fear. I want to take it to the next level. Most of us have such serious issues with this emotion of fear in a relationship that we each would quell. And this is true. You have no idea how many parents tell me this. They fail to tell me that they're their child's best friend. And what a badge of shame it is if you say the child is afraid of their parent. We immediately start looking into it, worried about abuse. Do we have to make any phone calls here? Because we have this notion that fear is a bad thing. What we're going to share tonight actually is that fear is the most important emotion that allows for an intimate relationship. More than love, you need to have fear. So we're going to embrace fear. However, we need to talk about what fear really means. Fear of retribution, according to Kabbalah, and according to Rambam, Maimonides, in talking how to educate a child, we begin with a child with the fear of retribution. The, the child doesn't do what he's not allowed to do because he's going to get punished. That's as good as it gets. However, as we grow up, what happens then? As we grow up and we mature, we talk about a whole different sense of fear. Let me give you an example. Okay? What is the feeling that we experience when we stand at the cliff of the Grand Canyon? What is the experience of fear that we feel when we're standing at the peak of Mount Everest? The child will feel what? I'm afraid of falling. That's the amateur. But what does the professional feel? Absolute awe. That absolute fear 
that you experience when you stand in the face of greatness. It isn't that God's going to punish me. It's suddenly feeling such a deep humbleness. I all of a sudden feel so minute a speck in the face of the true awe and greatness in front of which I stand. So while God is compassionate, and therefore we feel close and loving God, but when we embrace that God is omnipotent, God is infinite, God is great, that places upon us awe. A total different relationship. Okay? So, let's back up a second. What does fear offer us in a relationship? So we spoke about a more mature fear versus the immature fear. And not that the immature fear is bad. That's the way it starts. If our kids wouldn't be afraid, they'd be running in the street, God forbid, and be playing with knives. So that's not a bad thing. But we call that the immature. If that's your relationship with God, you're afraid that God's going to punish you, think for a moment. What happens here? And this is where I want to suggest what fear offers me in a relationship that love doesn't. Fear offers me in a relationship self-abnegation. Now let me tell you what that means. What that means is that if I'm full of me, then I can't have a relationship with you. Because to me, for me to have a relationship with you, I have to have a little self-abnegation of making room for you. So really, love is the expression of I love, while fear is self-abnegation. It allows me to be humble. It allows me within me and within our relationship to take away my ego, to take away my arrogance, and to make more room for you. So fear actually plays a very important role, even more important than love. Let's talk about the facts. Most people don't desecrate intimate relationships because they're afraid of losing the one they love more than because they love the person they love. Follow what happens here? Love isn't solid grounds. It's not a solid foundation on which to build an everlasting relationship. Let's talk about the words of our sages. Our sages tell us that a relationship that is based on a self-interest, self, will not endure. Only the relationship that's not built on a self-interest, it's about self-abnegation, I'm making room for you because of who you are, that's a relationship that can endure. So what we're hearing is all the wonderful stuff and love and love shall overcome and love and love and love until the hormones kick in. So what really needs to happen is there needs to be some level of fear, some level of self-abnegation, some level of becoming humble, little in my life so that there's room for the other. And if this is said about a relationship between two humans, how much more so it is said about a relationship between us and God, the omnipotent God. Okay? So, here's where it boils down to. There are those that find God and love God 
because God is shining upon their parade. I love you, God. Thank you. That relationship leaves us to worry. What happens if God decides one day to rain on his parade to redirect him to an unplanned area? Is he still in love with God? That's what the mission is telling us. Love is a something. A relationship that's built on a something will not endure. Fear, awe, self-abnegation is a nothing. A relationship that's built on nothing other than making room for you in my life, that's a relationship that will endure. Okay? So now, I just want to emphasize again and again that tonight, please, every time you hear the word fear or awe, we're not talking about retribution. Understand what the fear of retribution really is. I'm not afraid of you, God. I'm afraid of what you're going to do to me. I'm afraid about the pain that I'm going to feel. That's not the real fear of God. That's fear of me, fear of pain. Fear of God is exactly what it says. I stand afraid of you because of your greatness, your omnipotence, your superior splendor. Okay? So remember that we're not talking about the immature fear tonight. Okay? We're getting beyond that. Let's just talk about our in relationships for a second. Okay? So one reason not to desecrate an intimate relationship is because if I get caught, what's going to happen to me? Right? That would be what we said is the immature fear. Let's talk about something deeper. What's about not desecrating an intimate relationship because I'm afraid of what's going to happen to her when she finds out. You see how it switches? So what are you afraid of? You suffering or the other person? So we're going to shift away from the immature fear which is all about me. I don't want to suffer. I don't want to have to deal with God's rage, God's anger, God's retribution. Okay? Now we're going to go to we were really getting to. So there's two types of fears. We're talking about mature fears. Immature fear itself is two types of fears. There's one fear called Yerushalayim. What does the word Yerushalayim mean? If you look in the Torah, sometimes the word Yerushalayim is not spelled Yerushalayim, it's spelled Yerushalem. And why is it spelled Yerushalem? Because it's made up of two words. Yeru, Shalom. Yira, fear. Shalom, complete. So Yerushalayim actually means complete fear. Very interesting. Now Yerushalayim, as you know, the song Yerushalayim Shel Zahav. Zahav is what? Gold. So just that you know, in Kabbalah, silver is love and gold is fear. Jerusalem is Yerushalayim Shel Zahav, not Yerushalayim Shel Kesef. Because it's Yira Shalem. Absolute fear. So what is the absolute fear? What, what, what is it in a healthy way, and how do I embrace it? You can't make up fear. You can't make believe your fear. You can't sit in your mind and start, you know, I want to be afraid of God, so I'm going to now picture in my mind that I'm standing in front of the worst charging bull. <laughs> so you're not afraid of God. You're afraid of the charging bull that you just created in your imagination, and then you're placing that on God. So if a charging bull can rip me to pieces, I'm at God. That's not real. What's real fear? What's real, mature fear? Really reliable, concrete, 
fear to build your relationship, an intimate relationship with God? And the answer is as follows. I'm going to take you through a meditation. Okay? There's one verse in Tehillim in chapter 104 that says, Marabu Rabu means plenty, many. How many, how much is your creations? And you focus upon the infinite, celestial, terrestrial creations. And you realize that these infinite amount of creations comes from God's infinite power of expression. You're focusing how this works. This is not simple. Let's, let's take a moment here, right? I don't know if you guys ever saw, but I got in the email. You know, I'm on so many people's email spam lists. I guess it's revenge for my list. But what happens here is they sent me this amazing email, which was really a uh, PowerPoint play. It's unbelievable. It keeps on backing up. So the earth looks like it's humongous. And then you back up, and then you back up, and then you back up, and you realize that the entire earth is a speck of a speck in the face of the solar system. And then you realize that upon this world itself, the human race is just a speck of what really is out there. If you take into consideration the animal kingdom, the plants, the inanimate, you start thinking, Morabu Masecha Hashem. And even within the human race, we already tipped 7 billion, and they're saying at the year 220, we'll be reaching 8 billion. You're starting to feel like you're standing at the Grand Canyon. You're a little tiny, five foot something, and you're looking at the Grand Canyon. Then you go to the next meditation, which goes from from chapter 104 in Psalms, to chapter 92 in Psalms, and in verse 6 it says, Magodlu Masecha. Magodlu means how great. So we're not talking about the infinite amount. We're talking about the omnipotent fingerprint of God within all creations. So now you have how many and how great. That focus, that contemplation, that the greatness comes from the infinite depth of God's thought. The plentiful comes from the infinite power of God's expression. You're now breaking the ego and the coarseness of the self-identity. I, 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 I. I told you this before, I'll mention it again. Reb Mendel Futafas, a blessed memory, a man from Russia sat in prison for his underground work for keeping Judaism alive amongst the children. And when he came to America, he was blown away that this is the only country in the world where I is capitalized. Why from you is small. That I has to be cracked. The crack is through the concentrative meditation Chabad form of really focusing on these two notions. How many... You know, when we wake up, we're the center of the universe. When you watch that PowerPoint play, you start wondering. And I'm not denying that we're the center of the universe because God chose us, Matan Torah, da 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 But right now, I'm just talking about, let's look for a second. Really? And then you think of not only not only how many, but how great. 
We're not done yet. Because these two meditations, these two specific meditations is about how we, we are the infinite expression and we are the omnipotent thought of God. So it's about us. I'm thinking how little I am in the face of all other creations, right? Now let's transfer not to talk about us, but let's talk about God. How was the world created? Utterances. And God said, let there be light. And God said, that means that this fingerprint of God, the infinite and omnipotence that God put into creation, is what? Is only one utterance of God. Imagine what one word or one sentence spoken is compared to the essence of the speaker. So you're now reflecting upon that we, our source, not just that we are just one little tiny dot amongst the vast infinite amount of creations and amongst, amongst the mass greatness, infinite greatness of creation, we are actually even in our source, our source, our divine source, is only the utterance of God. Speaking is the most external expression of the human being. We have speech, we have thought, we have feelings, we have intellect, and we have will. Speech is the most external one. That means that our source, not just us, our divine source is a shadow of a shadow of a shadow of God. So if this is your source, <laughs> what are you so blown up about? <laughs> what do you want the world to know who you are? Your whole big greatness of who you are? We just found out who you are. You're a speck of a speck of a speck within the speck of a speck of a speck which comes from a shadow of a shadow of a shadow. Feel free to put that on your gravestone. Think for a second. So this meditation of Yirah Shalem allows me to open myself up, make some room in me for God. Because all I am is a shadow of a shadow of a shadow. So who am I to tell God on what terms and how and when? And I do like you. I don't like you. I do believe in you. I don't believe in you. I accept you. I don't accept you. Let's make some room. So Yirah Shalem is the self-abnegation from the gross ego and the coarse arrogance. Okay? We're not finished yet. Why are we not finished? Because this entire three stages of meditation, thinking how we are only one of an infinite many, how great and depth, infinite, omnipotent, and this all comes from an expression which is a shadow of a shadow. But the bottom line is what? That who created me? God. If God created me, can I be nothing? Ultimately speaking, my meditation of Yerushalem. Now remember, the meditation of Yerushalem focuses on God's relationship with creation. That means we're talking about the divinity 
in which creates me, and I am a creation. So how can this meditation ever lead to absolute, complete self-abnegation, which really allows me to get out of my way so that I can make room for God in my life? It's impossible. So this meditation of Yerushalayim only helps for stage one. It only helps to crack the coarse ego and the gross arrogance. But at the end of the day, this meditation makes me realize that I am somebody because I am a creation of God. And thus there cannot be true self-abnegation where I become absolutely, absolutely transparent to God so that he can fit into my life and I can have a relationship with him. Therefore, besides the meditation of Yerushalem, there's another meditation of Zion. Zion, Zion, and Yerushalayim. Shabachi. Right? You know the song? Shabachi, Yerushalayim, et Hashem. That's Yerushalayim. And then, this Elokayich, Zion. Two different statements. Yerushalayim and Zion. Before we get into Zion, Jerusalem and Zion. Talk about it. Zion, Zion is Zion. That's what it is. <laughs> Didn't you ever watch The Matrix? No. Anyway, let's go back to seriousness. Before I take you into the meditation of Zion, Zion, I want to first stop for a moment because you're coming with your familiarity of meditation. So I want to introduce you to Chabad meditation. Chabad meditation is not like your regular guided meditation. Let's talk about this. Chabad's concentrative meditation, concentrative meditation, is built upon a very deep foundation. And that is that in Genesis it is said that we were created in God's image and likeness, which means that everything that exists within the layers of the infinite light and beyond exists within my soul. Thus, the power of the concentrative meditation is actually a three-step process. We find within ourself the reflection of, we connect with that layer of God, and we are driven from there into the specific service of God which that drives. Let me say this again. So you have so many layers that you talk about in Kabbalah. You have the linear infinite light, which permeates, we'll soon talk about. We're going to talk about the next level, which is the encompassing light. And then we talk about beyond, the essence, which is beyond both lights. Not even the source of light. It's beyond even being a source of light. All this exists within your soul. So you have the permeating light of Yerushalayim. You have the encompassing light of Zion. And then you have the essence relationship. What that means in our relationship, in our soul, in our soul, we have the revelation of the faculties of our soul. We have the essence core of our soul. And then we have the essence relationship with God. Okay? Now, understand, please, that in serving God, there are so many different things. There is Torah study. There is prayer. There is teshuva, there is doing mitzvahs out of love, 
out of fear, out of obedience. These are all different parts of our service to God. All these services, all these other forms of services come from different layers in our soul. There's one faculty of our soul which drives for prayer. There's another faculty which drives for intellect. There's a very unique, deep essence of our soul which drives for teshuvah. So you understand now that the process of a concentrative meditation of Chabad is to understand the specific details of a layer of the infinite light, to find it within a specific detail of your soul, and to drive it into a specific detail service to God. Does that make sense? It's not your average meditation. Okay? With this being said, let's talk about, we went from Yerushalayim, which allows us to understand that we're a speck of a speck within a speck, which comes from a shadow of a shadow. So really, there's nothing to be so egotistical and arrogant about. But nevertheless, I am a creation. At the end of the day, from God's utterance came me. I came from God's utterance. So I got to be somebody. You guys ever saw that t-shirt? The little boy looking all frustrated like this, laying down and says, I know I can't be nothing because God doesn't create nothing. Well, that's what this meditation does. Okay. It's a nothing, but it's a nothing that God created, so ultimately it's not nothing, it's only not arrogant and not grossly egotistical. What is the meditation of Zion? The meditation of Zion is a whole different level. The meditation of Yerushalayim begins with me. I am a creation, but I am only a speck of an infinite amount of creations. I am only a small creation, a speck in the face of the omnipotent greatness of creations. And I come from only one of the utterances which come from the shadow of the shadow of the shadow of God's essence who spoke the utterance. It all starts from me. And ultimately speaking, the divinity that I'm talking to relates to me because it is the utterance. It's what we call in Kabbalah the permeating light. The light of divinity which becomes the soul. It permeates the creation. And thus, I relate to it. And it relates to me. So I am a somebody. However, there's another whole level, which is the essence, in which the face of the essence, everything is nothing. It is the encompassing circle in which everything is encompassed equally. There is no me. There is no I. And this is difficult to explain. So let, let's talk about this. It exists on a level where it refuses to go through any metamorphic change to fit into me. Let me share with you what that means. For example, okay? You have within you an essence that when that essence of you just becomes so intense, it's a tsunami, it's a tornado that rips through you without any concern whether you can actually contain the feeling, contain the, the epiphany, or contain the expression. It doesn't care. It is, and it just shines away. The problem with that is there's a good thing and there's a bad thing. The good thing with that is that in the face of that vast ocean, does the cup even exist? Can you fit the ocean in a cup? 
Does the ocean even recognize that there is a cup as it goes storming right by? So that means the self-abnegation here is absolute. In the face of the essence, which concerns itself not with my definition of limitation and capacity, I'm just a non-existence. It's just ripping through me like a railroad. There, there's total self-abnegation. In the face of Zion, I truly don't exist. And in that space, I truly cease to be me so I can finally make room for him, capital H. There's that point in a relationship which is so real. Finally, there's a he in my life. And the only way there can be a he or a she, but we're talking about God now, capital he, is where I really get out of the way. And the only way to really get out of the way is the meditation of Zion. Because it's not that I'm a speck of a speck of a speck, because even a speck of a speck of a speck of a shadow of a shadow of a shadow is a something. I'm still in the way. But when you think about the ultimate essence core of the soul just bursting forth, you cry hysterically, you don't even know why. There's something going on. You can't explain it. You can't, you can't even contain it. So really, the I is so diminished here that finally there's room for another in my life that doesn't have to tiptoe on eggshells not to piss me off. It's really, I'm out of the way. It's about the other. I finally am out of the way. That comes from Zion. Okay, so let's, let's recap for a second before we, go before we go further into the last level. We spoke about that this Yerushalem. Yerushalem is what? Yerushalem is the meditation of that we are just a speck of a speck in the quantity and in the quality. And that altogether in its source, this divine source, is nothing but a shadow of a shadow of a shadow of God. Because it's only, and God said. You know, unfortunately, how meaningless words are to people. The power of Yerushalem is that it connects with me. Therefore, it could transform me. However, it is limited in its capacity of transformation. Because ultimately speaking, I will always remain a little I, but an I. So it does have the power of transformation because it connects with me. It does get involved with me. Then we have Zion, which is the infinite power of transformation. But it blows through you like a tsunami. So you really have nothing tangible to hold on. Simple example. Have you ever found a person who is way too infinitely spiritual that they cannot change their lifestyle? Spiritual, spiritual, spiritual. But my self-indulgence, I can't change it. Because my infinite, close my eyes, experience hallelujah, doesn't connect with me in a tangible way. How about the person that is so overwhelmingly in love with this girl 
but he cannot practically change his ways for her. He cannot stop and thinking about, I, I can't be tied down. I got a co and gum when I want. I got my little hangups that I've been doing for so long. I love you to death. Just don't ask me to change anything. This is where my shoes was before you moved into my house. This is where my shoes stay, not here in my house. Because the overwhelming essence doesn't allow for me to tangibly grab it. It doesn't connect with me. It totally self-abnegation. So I can't do anything with it. So we have the beauty of Yerushalem. It transforms. It's the power of Teshuvah. It comes from below. It's me. But it's finite. Then we have the infinite power of Tzion. The essence. Which totally allows me to have self-abnegation completely. I'm a nobody. There's room for you in my life. There's an emptiness in my life, which for a change isn't filled with moi. But don't expect me to really respect you in my life and do things for you because this overwhelming feeling doesn't connect with my actual revealed faculties. Each one has a plus, each one has a vice. Okay, now let's bring it all together. When we talk about the essence core of the soul, in your nishama there's a pintalayid, right? We talk about the pintalayid. That pintalayid is defined as what? Truly a piece of God. However, allow me to share with you a quote from Hasidis which comes from Kabbalah. The essence of the soul is a piece of creator which became a creation. I want to say that again. The essence of a soul is the piece of creation which became a creator. So when the Alter Rebbe, I'm sorry, it was a piece of creator which became a creation. Thank you. So when we look in Tanya, and Tanya says, this second soul, which is truly a piece of God from above. It's really a piece of God. However, this piece of God, when it descends into creation, becomes a creation. Now, a creation is defined by the limitation of its definition. I am what I am and I'm not what I'm not. The definition of a creation is its limitations of its definition. Now, this essence core, which we always talk about, let me tell you a little secret. In Hasidus, it has a limitation. Do you know what the limitation is? I can only be an essence and not deal with details. Which is why Zion will never produce a practical teshuva. It'll create a total self-abnegation, which is fertile ground for teshuva. But it will not produce a lifestyle change. A Baal teshuva is not someone who has an epiphany. It's someone who changes his or her behaviors. The epiphany leads to something. Zion cannot lead to nothing. 
I mean, I mean nothing practical. Because Zion, by definition, is essence and can't deal with details. I don't know how many of you have dabbled with the business guru, uh, Michael E. Gerber. He wrote a book called E-Myth, Revisited. In the E-Myth Revisited, he introduces that a business needs to have an entrepreneur and needs to have a manager. The entrepreneur is the creative, out-of-the-box thinker. The manager is the in-the-box organizer. Now, do you have any idea what happens to an entrepreneur when he's forced to sit in by a managerial meeting, dealing with the finicky details? You do not want to see that picture. It's not a pretty sight because he can't stand it. I can't stand the details of the box. My entire life is to think out of the box in reality, but not in the reality of the box. It's the out of the box reality, which makes an entrepreneur a real successful entrepreneur. The manager has got to take that creative thought, bring it into the box, turn it into an assembly line and make it happen. Henry Ford called in the people when he wanted, I think, the VZ80 engine. And he told them, I want you to make me a single cast engine. That was the entrepreneur, Henry Ford. The people sat there by the table and said, impossible. What did he answer them? Do it. He paid them for a full year and they didn't do it. They came back and they said, it's impossible. What did he tell them? Go back and do it. The end of the story, they did it. The entrepreneur is the essence of your soul. That's the Zion. But don't bring him into your revealed faculty meetings because he's going to go bonkers on you. It's going to be a tsunami that's going to rip through you. It's going to be intense. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be horrific. So you have the essence of the soul, which is total self-abnegation, and you have the, revealed the revealed faculties of the soul, which is where the real change happens. Now let's take it to the next level. There is the essence of the soul, which is not the essence core of the soul. It's the way the essence exists within the bosom of God before it descended into creation. Now that essence of your soul which is within the bosom of God, which did not transform itself into a piece of creation. It has zero definition and zero limitations. This is the piece of your soul that comes knocking on your door and says, true, everything is equal to me, but I want you. Everything is okay to me, but I want it done specifically this way. That essence, which defies even the limitations of essence, that is the third factor. That is the third factor, which now allows for absolute transformation. Why? Because it has both. It's the infinite allowing for total self-abnegation, and it knows how to talk to you in the box with your details. Are you exploding from pride of being Jewishness? Well, let me see you start lighting Shabbos candles. Well, what do you mean, Shabbos candles? I'm talking about huge. I'm talking about, I love you, God. No, 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 not this time. This time we're talking about the real essence. 
You're exploding with Jewishness. Can you light the Shabbos candle for me? That is the third level. That is the essence which drives the Zion into Yerushalayim. And now you have the ultimate experience of Teshuvah. So the Tzaddik of Zion doesn't have to transform sin. He's a Tzaddik. The Balchuvah of Yerushalayim can only transform up to a limit. Introduce the essence of God into the picture. You're talking about the Yechidah Cha, the oneness of your oneness, God. Not the way it manifested itself in me. Now we have the ultimate transformation. That's Hashkifa Memon Kachecha. You have the first level of meditation. We spoke about that, Yerushalem. Right? The Word of God which created me. You have Zion, the circular essence light which everything is not. But then there comes the essence. You know where the essence takes place? I'll tell you where the essence takes place. Stop focusing on how bad you feel for the poor. Give them money. Stop focusing on you want to save the world. Make a change in your community. That's the essence of essence. It's not stuck in the omnipotent spirituality of feelings. It manifests itself in a detailed bring home one dozen roses for Shabbos to let her know you love her. That's what we're talking about. This concept is what the verse is saying. Hashkifa memon kachecha. We're looking for the ultimate power which can truly transform absolute abnegation that can make a difference in details. There's something that every one of you is passionate about. There's something that if you only could, you would love to start in this Chabad house, this new program. That means nothing. That's meditative, beautiful, spiritual feelings. How about discussing what the budget is, finding out how much you can give, finding other people that could give, and making an actual difference in the concept that you're passionate about. That's Hashkifa Memon Kachecha. That is the process of first breaking the coarseness through the meditation of Yerushalem. I'm only a speck of a speck of a shadow of a shadow. That's the total self-abnegation of the ocean just flying, washing right over the cup. There's really no me, so there's really room for you in me. And then comes what really makes the difference. Hashkifa, transform that terminology of curses into blessings by finding that passion translated into one detailed action. My friends, that's how you make a difference. That's how you get written into Aksivach Simetoiva, the book of life, to be written and inscribed in the book of life, in the book of goodness, the book of happiness, and may it be the year of redemption. Thank you. Amen.